Person of Interest podcast, episode number 25, Ghost in the Game Console. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello, welcome back to the Person of Interest podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Person of Interest on CBS. I am Daryl, and I've just returned from checking nearby rooftops for shell casings, Doug. <laughs> I, I hope nobody was shooting at you. Let's just put it that way, man. And I'm Doug, and I'm wishing, you know, I had an old Henry bar right now. It's, I know the sugar's bad for you, but man, those were so good. I haven't seen them in a while, except at maybe convenience stores. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we are so glad to have you back. It has been about a year since we last really did talk about a Person of Interest episode. Really? Yeah, at least a new one anyway. Of course, we did the Season 4 recap, Season 5 prep episode that we did last week. But man, it has been way too long, Doug. Thank you, CBS. Yeah. Anyway, definitely. we speaking of CBS, we are actually covering... The Person of Interest episode for Season 5, Episode 1, which originally aired May 3rd, 2016, entitled BSOD. And for those of you who did not stick around for the episode title spoilers, such as they are, at the uh, as, as Daryl mentioned, the Season 4 recap and Season 5 pre, preseason show, BSOD stands for the Blue Screen of Death, which many Windows users have definitely seen and that's when the Windows dies, it has a fatal error, it just can't go on, and it just gives up and you got to reboot. Yeah. And that's essentially what the, if the machine was running on Windows, that's exactly what we'd have seen. Yeah, of course it runs on Linux, we learned that in this episode, I think we probably already knew that anyway. So that got me to thinking, like, because after the episode was over and I started looking through notes and stuff, I thought... Wait a minute, we didn't actually see a BSOD. I was expecting it. When they hit that power button to after oh, it yeah. decompressed, I thought we would see a blue screen of death or an equivalent, and we didn't. And I thought, well, that's a weird title. But I think it really goes more along with the whole death theme of the episode and the, 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 the conversation that Harold had with the machine about death. And then you, so you have that, and then you kind of tie it into a... a computer theme and you get blue screen of death. So I still think it works. Or did you see any uh, anything else with the title tie-in that, that I missed? Do you have another idea? No, other than the fact that most of the viewers probably have Windows machines and have seen it before. <laughs> That's true. That's as good as I got. <laughs> All right. Well, we're so glad you've tuned in to the episode this week. We are going to be with you throughout the entire season of uh, Person of Interest, this final season, as it were. And as Doug said, if you didn't tune in to that final portion of our preview podcast, or maybe if you, if you missed it altogether, uh, it's really important to to note, as CBS pointed out at the end of this episode, starting next week, there will be multiple episodes per week uh, almost to the remainder of the season. The final three will have their own episodes, but the next, I guess that means... 
what, nine episodes are going to come multiples on a week, starting next week with a Monday and Tuesday episode. So be prepared for that. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, nine episodes in the middle, two a week. One of them must be, yeah, you're right. There's three one week. That's right. Oh, man. A Monday and a double episode on Tuesday. Yep. That's, and that's before the, I think, before the final three. So we are getting a lot of story all, shall we say, compressed into a short amount of time. That's right. That's why I made the joke last episode that I was not very happy that CBS decided to use that compression algorithm or a software, whatever it was, on the season. But it is what it is. We're going to make the most of it. We're going to have a great time. We hope that you'll join us all season long. One of the things we love to do here on the podcast is give credit where credit is due and talk about those people responsible for the show uh, with the writer and director. And, of course, this one was written by Greg Plagman, one of the executive producers of the show, also written by uh, Tony Camerino, 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 I think it is. I think and, you just uh, you need to say it once, Camerino, not Camerino, Camerino, Camerino. I just I don't just know. one time. Doesn't it's not <laughs> well, I think it's just one. I think it works. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> <laughs> and directed by Chris Fisher. Incidentally, Doug, there is a uh, a commentary. You can watch the episode with the commentary of Greg Plagman and Tony Camerino over on the CBS website. It's, you can stream it. I don't know if it's available for those parties outside of the U.S., but at least if you're inside the U.S., it's there. I watched it today, and it was fun. There wasn't a whole lot of insights in there, but it's always cool to kind of peek behind the curtain and get the insights of those who helped make the show. We posted that on the uh, Facebook group, if you want to go there, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest podcast. And uh, I, I just watched the first bit of it just to see what it was like. And, you know, you, you talked about getting a nice shot of the subway set that they had uh, created that looked exactly like an old Art, De- Art Deco uh, old subway station and just loved the uh, – they gave credit to the set uh, creators and then mentioned that it's gone now. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah, that was sad when they mentioned that. One of the other cool insights they gave was that – when whoever writes an episode, they also have them on the set while they're filming it, and then they have them in the booth or whatever you want to call it while they're editing it. And so they're involved with the entire process of the show. They don't just write the show and then hand it off. The writer sticks with that episode all the way through the full production. And the idea is that when a writer is done with person of interest, they know every step of the process and they're better on their way to become an executive producer one day. And their hope is that every writer for person of interest will one day be an executive producer. And I thought that was really cool. I don't know if other shows do that. I've never heard that before. Maybe it's a common practice that I'm just not aware of, but whatever it is, that was really cool. That is nice. And they've got some great writers. I mean, Mm -hmm. this, this show has been, has had some of the smartest writing has had some of the best uh, character development, and these people are definitely uh, EP material. Mm-hmm. So that sounds, that's cool. I hadn't heard that. That's, that's a, I like that idea. Yeah, very cool. Well, that's a little newsy, but maybe you've got some other news for us you'd like to lay on this, Doug? Got a little bit here. Usually in, the, in uh, last season, in season four, when we covered this, we had a couple of days in between the episode and when we recorded the podcast, so we had a little more ratings information. We had the same days, and we had a little bit of the DVRs. Uh, but since we're you know, uh, going to be having Monday and Tuesday shows, we didn't want to push it too far. So we're recording Wednesday nights. And so we're only getting the, uh, the same day um, or 
live numbers here. So uh, according to TV by the numbers, Tuesday was a fairly soft night for all the broadcast networks. No show made it over a 2.0 rating in the uh, Magic Adults 18 to 49 demographic. Person of Interest opened its final season with a 1.2, up a tenth from the Limitless finale last week in this spot, and it's a tenth over its finale last season. So, you know, we got a little bit of a bump, but the season four average was 1.5. So, and I can see how that may be happening. It's, it, it's the last season. Not everybody is uh, necessarily uh, keeping up with the, with the show here anymore. So that's too bad. So basically, we had a 1.2 and 7.35 million viewers, which is, again, uh, lower than all the uh, results from last season. I've been keeping track of that, and um, I don't think we dipped below eight last season, uh, but this time we did. So that's is, – is that a reflection of the show? Is that a reflection of a one-year hiatus? Thank you, CBS. Is this a reflection of – what I you know that people just didn't know it was coming back PR who knows yeah yeah and Zach in the chat room is asking how many ads there were here in America I'm not sure because I don't watch a lot of TV uh, I don't I haven't seen a, a single ad but I'm not the best person to ask so I saw a few in the that couple of weeks leading up to the uh, premiere but not a whole lot mm. beyond that so and I don't yeah I didn't think it was really well uh, publicized. Yeah, I mean they're not really gonna spend a lot of money on this on a show that they're not, you know, renewing or anything like that. So or making is, as much money on as they usually would. Yep, that's and right. that's the, another reason. Uh, I, and I don't know this much about the inside baseball, but I understand that Warner Brothers actually owns the show. CBS is airing the show, and so they split the profits. Right. I don't know how how much, what percentage, but. Not, so CBS is not getting as much out of it as they would for you know a uh, a show that they had both produced and are distributed. So that's correct. Yep, that is true. All well, right. let's talk about some ratings, not just the ratings, the TV ratings. Yeah, our ratings, our ratings, and our list. Yeah. Yes. Well, I gave what it uh, nine ankle shots. You know, so we normally need see the kneecaps. I didn't know what to call it. <laughs> It's not an ankle cap. It's just an ankle <laughs> shot. Root hanging down below the vehicle, taking out some ankles. It was awesome. I loved that. <laughs> I loved that. That was such a great play on what has been kind of the trademark of, of this show. And, you know, to just kind of literally turn it on its head. Mm-hmm. You know, she was upside down when she was doing that. I just thought that was hilarious. That, that was, was great. so good. Yeah. I mean, and we'll talk about it when we get to that scene. But when that, she got T-boned, I mean, I was like, <gasps> no. I, was, I found myself on edge so many times during this episode, not knowing what was going to happen or who was, if, if anybody was going to meet their demise, you know, now. So, and that was one of those scenes. I loved that scene. The ankle shot was, was just the capstone of a great scene. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> oh man. My tablet is out of commission for the oh. moment. I don't have my sound oh. effects next week. Next week. It'll be here. Okay. Um, I gave it eight canisters of liquid nitrogen. I, I liked the – it was a great setup, a lot of action, uh, but I watched POI for the action, yes. But also um, the story, the you know the development, the character development, the plot development, and there wasn't as much of it here. It was basically save the machine, mm-hmm. and we were you know trying to keep it – you know it was the thing when 
the light's red and everything's okay or blue or green. It's green. If it goes red, then it's, you know, losing power. And at one point, Finch says to Reese, if it starts blinking, we're in trouble. My wife says, it's going to blink. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? Of course. Okay, yeah. So we get, we get, you know, and then, you know, very clever stuff at the very end trying to save it. But overall, I think, I think it's good. We're going to get a higher, I'm going to give it a higher rating later on, but I'm giving myself a little room here. And I didn't think it was quite the, the bang up job they sometimes do. Okay. All right. Well, Team Yellowbox uh, gave their rating. I, I think this came in via Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe because in their email. I don't know. Yes. Either uh, way. No, in their, in their in feedback, their yes. Okay. Uh, Team Yellowbox gave it eight firefighter bears. And I thought about giving that rating, and then I saw that they had done that, and I thought, okay, they, they get that rating. I'll pick another. So that's a great rating. <laughs> firefighter bears. Andrew Jeeves, and we'll hear from him a little later, too. He gave it nine Subway Showdowns. Ooh. Yeah. And Zach Chang gave it seven punches because sugar is not actually good for you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, or seven PlayStation threes, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Now I will say that like you, uh, my episode callback got stolen. I had done PlayStations and Zach came and said that. So I, I changed mine as well. So, you know, we're flexible. Well, lots to discuss in this episode. The the episode, okay, let me get your take on this, Doug. It doesn't exactly start where season four ended, but in my opinion, it, it, it really did. I think we just saw our guys a couple of blocks down the street. I mean, we didn't see them get out of that specific situation they were in, you know, when when season four ended, but I think we got them just 10 minutes later or something like that. Is that what you're thinking or, or how did you, and how did you feel about that? Did you want it to pick up right where season four ended? The way it ended right in mid scene, you know, um, I, I assumed it was going to do that. And I was really looking forward to seeing, okay, how do they get out of this? Uh, and I understand the machine. Well, was the machine even functional at that moment? No, uh, it had given them all the necessary tools, but it was, you know, still, compressed and into the briefcase already so that had to be you know that had to be reese and who i, I forget who else was with them it was root with them mm-hmm. and uh they had to get out of it themselves with all the you know toys that the machine had uh, provided for them so i was kind of hoping to see the end of that but then you know when when you see the situation they are in at the very beginning of this you realize okay they got out of it Kind of, you know, they may have gotten out of that immediate issue and then moved on to splitting up and, you know, running around with the uh, with the briefcase there. And so, OK, I, I can go with that. And we need to perhaps, you know, compress as we're to keep, we keep getting back to compress the uh, storyline to get moving here. And so spending some time with, yes, of course, they get out of that situation. But then, you know, so you, you lose five minutes uh, of time doing that. Uh, it made sense. I was just kind of, I was just, you know, slightly annoyed. Just missed it by that much. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I was fine with it. I think that from a, from a storytelling point of view, I think it was better to go this route where we see them already, you know, let's split up and go that route. And so we get to see how Root gets out of her situation, how John gets out of his situation, and how Harold gets out of his situation. And so that gave us three different ways to tell this story, three different hooks to get us into the story. 
and you know some comic relief i thought when harold does the hat switcheroo and that sort of thing so i felt like it was probably a better move to go this route at least from a storytelling point of view he looks good in a white hat yeah that was fun that was fun um i I guess i got us a little head there we do want to talk about the um Oh, that opening scene. The, the wow. opening, the phone ringing, and the voiceover with Root, and then it kind of fades into the subway station, that sort of thing. The um, phone ringing, the first thing I thought of, hey, Dad, did I, did I tune into the Matrix? Is what? <laughs> did you? Is that, what that was I, the first thing. I, I was just, I thought it was really um, interesting because we're not expecting to hear the phone ring. The machine is yeah. is dead at this point, or, or incapacitated On at life the support. very least. Yeah, so... <laughs> Now, we get this voiceover from Root. I didn't write down the entire thing. She says, one of, the, one of the last things that she says is, let me tell you who we were, past tense. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you who you are. That's interesting. We're not just a casual audience member, apparently. Mm-hmm. And how we fought back. So I guess that puts at least this entire season in some sort of a flashback at this point. And during the audio commentary, they did say this scene right here, the voiceover with Root is going to be a bookend. So remember this scene, remember what's said, we're going to come back to it near the end of the season. So I don't know if that'll be the, how the season ends. It very well might be, or I don't know. But anyway, remember all that. So what do you take from that whole what she said, how she said it, and the everything. What do you what do you take from that, Doug? The only thing um, that I can think of is that, like I said, this is this sounds like we're doing this all in flashback. Yeah. And since we're doing it all in flashback, Root is still around to tell the flashback. However, I can also see. So one of the things we were discussing on the uh, preseason episode uh, yep. was who lives and who dies. Right. So does this mean root lives at right. the end? That's one of my questions. Maybe too. not. Maybe these are her, you know, her final words. She's passing on the story to somebody else. Maybe a character we haven't even met yet. Maybe we get a, a an intro, a newly introduced character this season for that. But so, passing on the information to this new character. So the you that she mentions when she says, "Let me tell you who you are," that could still be not us as an audience member, but she's telling this story to a specific person, and that's who the you is. I think I think that's what it's going to wind up being. I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think she's talking to the audience. I think she's passing on the history of team machine to somebody who's going to carry the torch. on. And I think that that is, is very, very highly probable. Maybe, maybe the most probable situation. I I like the idea of breaking the fourth wall a little bit and her addressing the audience because so much of this show is not fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy how much of this show is just ripped from headlines or headlines that we as the public haven't, haven't seen yet, but it's happening behind the scenes. And so I kind of like the idea where the show might end and go, you need to be aware. Here's what your role is. That is that a little bit too meta? Maybe, but I still think it's a possibility. I say, I think what you said where she's talking with a 
a character we haven't yet met is probably the most likely situation or scenario. Yeah, that'd be, but I, I like the idea that she might be addressing the, the audience or the people at large. Mm-hmm. And that, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. This is where, what we have done now, you all have to deal with it. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. As far as will, does this mean that root lives or dies? I think that she, her voice didn't sound frail or weak either by age or by injury. So I think it's a good clue that she lives, but I certainly don't think that we can go out to Vegas and place a bet on that at this point. But, you know, I predicted she would live anyway. So, you know, I was putting a little feather in my cap going, oh, yeah, I might have picked that one right. I don't know about the rest, but this one's looking good. But this being POI, you know, you can't put too much stock in that. They could just pull the rug right out from underneath you. And they are good at doing that. Yeah. So we've got this uh, we got this machine in the briefcase, and we're ru- and we've got people running all over the place. We've got Harold going all over the place. We've got uh, John Reese everywhere. We've got Root doing who knows what, and then poor Fusco shows up at the precinct, really banged up from his uh, little run in with uh, t- another T bone uh, car trying to get rid of Elias and Dominic, and this the whole team is just badly beaten up. It's uh it's a very, they look very weak right from the beginning. They are on the run. They don't have any, as as Reese mentions at one point to Root, we don't have a God mode anymore because God's busy. He's almost dead in the suitcase. So, you know, we've got a, I thought at the beginning, maybe they're doing a shell game with the briefcase, but uh, I think it was just Reese um, hanging on to that. And like I said, Harold, you know, gets on a bus and escapes uh noticed by changing hats and uh, root escapes by these wonderful ankle shots. I mean, this is just, uh, it's a, it's a great scene setter for season five saying these guys, we, they've been, they've been on the ropes before, but they are now on the ropes like they have never been before. And it really gives you that, uh, that feeling right up front. Yeah. You remember going back to last season, the beginning of season four, where they were, they were living, undercover they didn't have the subway station yet and they all had these false identities and the thankfully they had gotten and kind of put in that little secret sauce into samaritan which is still at play we saw um with john it it flipped him back to what's what's the uh what's the status it gives them uh, um, where they're not important but oh yeah irrelevant yeah irrelevant Um, yeah whatever it is yeah so so but but you know we thought then that they were in a desperate situation, flying, not flying blind. That's what I was going to say, but you know, just unprotected. Well, forget that. That seems like that would be a, a welcomed dish at this point. You know, uh, yeah. they, uh, they have nothing but their wits and their guns. And even that, I mean, Reese had to resort to chains, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they said in the commentary that they wanted to kind of give uh, root or excuse me, put Reese into a situation where he needed to to utilize something besides a gun, and uh, that was Jim Caviezel in those stunts. Uh, he he learned those stunts and uh, was performing those, and uh, it was cool. I loved it. They said when Harold did the the hat switch, I don't think it was um, Greg. I think it was uh, Tony. He'd had some military training, and that was one of the things that they had taught him 
was it espionage? It was, I don't remember what the phrasing he said, but it was some sort of specific training. And the old switcheroo hat is a, is this something basic that you can do to try to lose a tail or something. Especially in a crowd. Yeah. 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 And so they got to put that into, uh, into effect because it's a, it's a real training on, you know, it's something they teach you real basic, like I said, and it worked. And so I thought that was really cool to see all these three get away in their own way and uh, very, very cool stuff. I like what they did with the flashbacks. Now we, we, we see Harold and uh, John trying to get on a ferry to escape at least to a place, a, a, a place devoid of cameras, at least for now. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that that's that ferries don't have any cameras on them, but Oh, well for now, I would but, have thought that too. I thought surely yeah. there's a ferry or a camera on that ferry, but okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Especially but Harold, you know, you, you see a little bit of his hesitation because we and we go back and see some flashbacks of when uh, Nathan uh, uh, died on the uh, the ferry explosion. Mm-hmm. But we we also have another flashback to 2006, and what I noticed here was when they flash back to 2006, it just said in, on the screen they changed the coloring, uh, more of a bluish hue, mm-hmm. and they just put in the corner of the screen 2006. Rather than what we used to see with the machine point of view, with all the cameras and the feeds and whatnot, and then a timeline scrolling across the bottom. Well, of course, you can't have a machine point of view if you don't have a machine. So there yeah. you are. I thought that was clever. But I, I like the way they showed you that you were actually going into a flashback with the uh, kind of the washed out blue hue there. It yeah, was really it, it cool. kind of faded into that blue. As as the impression it gave me is, is we were as just like natural. As we're thinking like, Oh yes, I remember that. Instead of going, you know, as your mind kind of goes into <laughs> that that memory, it just kind of a little faded water, in. a little watery special effect yeah. on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I thought it was really cool. Obviously, easy to to tell when a memory was was occurring. So that was that was cool. A cool way to work those in, even though we don't have the machine anymore. A lot of TV shows have done that. I was mm-hmm. uh, been following Limitless. If you followed that at all, whenever. Uh, Brian Finch, inter- interestingly, another Finch. Uh, Brian Finch is on NZT, which makes you, you know, cognitively incredible. Everything turns yellowish. You know, you could always tell when he was on NZT. Hmm. Same sort of thing here. And I've seen some of these on other, other TV shows as well. So that's, that was a great little, uh, great little idea there. Um, but it was interesting. Uh, in the past, Harold, we see, get to see Nathan again. We've, we've gone back before his death. And uh, it, right from the beginning, we're seeing Harold have his concerns about a machine AI. Nathan seems to have no problem with it. Hey, you make it the way you want and, uh, you know, give it all the, uh, all the ethics that you believe it should have. Uh, but Harold just thinks the machine is an automatic threat threat because it is a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, could lead to human extinction just being there, you know. So, and that's the first point where we get the idea about wiping its memory every day at midnight. Just as a bit of a recap for those of you who might not have seen it or, like me, might have forgotten it. But anyway, the machine did figure out a way around that. Yeah. It created an entire – and that's when we first heard the name Ernest Thornhill, that's where it right. created a, an entire company that before it went to you – know, before midnight showed up, it would print out its entire memory dump on you know hexadecimal in hexadecimal on paper. And there was a whole company worth of people that the machine had – you know created the company and hired all the people and it, they would type in the memory from yesterday back into it the next day. Oh man. Incredible. So 
So the machine figured out a way around that. But I liked the connection they made with uh, Harold's father uh, having Alzheimer's and him considering him basically dead already because he couldn't remember anything. Yeah. And so you get the little, uh, the emotional connection they do very well in this show, even when we're talking about a guy with his computer, you know, it doesn't seem like you would, it's something that would really be a bit of a tearjerker or, you know, tug at the heartstrings, but, or whatever cliche we want to come up with. But, you know, you hear this and you see, you know, uh, are you, you want to kill me every night? Um, do you not want me to grow? You know, I thought it was a great little, uh, little bit of writing there and a connection that was made. Do you, are you wiping your eyes uh, at that scene? There? Well, it was incredibly well done. I mean, mm-hmm. For, you know, Barbara's mentioning that how hard it was for her. You know, she's someone who's in the moment living with a parent who has dementia. And many of us have had parents, grandparents who have battled that. And so, um, or or Alzheimer's or or a variation thereof, or or, or even with other other physical and, and mental ailments. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that hit home for a lot of us and that whole idea that when Harold said his dad died the day that he started losing his memories and then the machine comes back and says, wait, didn't you want to erase my memories? I mean, that's powerful stuff. It, it ties into a couple of different things here, a few few different touch points here. One is the, of course, this is all in flashback in 2006, as you said, but now we have the perspective of what the machine said to Harold as it was trying to compress at the end of the final season where he calls him father and he apologizes for failing him. Well, that was very emotional, and there was a relationship built there, right? Well, we kind of see that same thing way back in 2006, and Harold tries to prevent that from happening. He doesn't want that personal connection. The machine has stepped over boundaries that he doesn't feel like it needs to cross. And of course, you talked about how the machine was smart enough to figure out how to kind of circumvent those things. The other touch points are that Harold did and does try, has tried to limit the machine and what the machine can do. Root blasted Harold last season when she said, because of what you limited the machine to do, to be able to do, we're kind of ill-prepared now to face Samaritan. If you kind of handcuff the machine or you put a, you know, for you NASCAR fans, you, you put a uh, a restrictor plate on the uh, on the machine and it, it just doesn't have the capabilities that it could otherwise have. And then the, the third t- touch point there is at the end of this episode when Root says, Harold, if we're going to rebuild this machine, let's think about what we did last time, and how we could do it better this time. Not only based on the mistakes, but to be better prepared for the future, essentially is what she said. And so I think all those little flashbacks and those those things have been just kind of been this, it kind of been commingling together these ideas of, you know, what would you do if you could do it all over again, if you get the chance, and hopefully they will. So I think these are some really good flashbacks that are tying in deeply with some very important decisions that are going to have to be made at some point. My prediction for the uh, Root and Finch dynamic is going to be that, and especially with regards to what is the new machine going to be. Mm-hmm. My get, we, had, we see that Harold, you know, ho- hobbled it by re- erasing its memory every night. He was a little unsure about doing that the first time we see in the flashback, but it's still in effect, you know, years later as the show has been going on, as we find out. So he got over that initial problem went on. 
And my thought is he's going to see Samaritan as perhaps the natural outcome of not doing that, that wiping its memory every night and having to relearn so much every every day meant that it could not get megamaniacal. Uh, um, is that the word? Anyway, sure. megalomaniacal, something like that. And then he, I think that is, like you said, he put a restricting plane on it, a governor. That may, I, I'm thinking that his concern about supercomputer AI at all is mitigated by the fact that this hobbling is there. And I think that's going to be the big thing that's going to, we're still going to have the root, let the machine do be the machine, and Harold saying, don't let the AI be the AI, you know. And I think that's, that's where we're still going to see. If we ever get back to rebooting it and redoing it, we see where Harold's coming from. But at the same time, he still has that, apparently, um, that issue with an AI because he said it, number one. Number two, he never took off the, uh, the memory wipe. Yeah, and she'll argue right back that, hey, what makes this machine different from Samaritan, who isn't, who isn't limited or throttled, is, Harold, your sense of ethics, your sense of morals, and the fact that you are programming those things into it and teaching it how to learn, like, like you would a child. You know, I, I teach my children, you taught your children, or teaching your children, a sense of ethics and a sense of morality and a sense of how to justice works and, and all these sorts of things so that then they can learn these principles and then go apply them in their own daily situations. And I think that's the argument that she'll make back to Harold to say, yeah, don't put the throttle on it, put these things into it like you have done. And yeah, we'll see what happens. I hope that she wins. I hope her argument wins. Well, we have the, uh, the whole story of Root going on here. She's still uh, kind of being pursued by the Samaritan crowd, the, the duo of Reese and Fincher trying to get a hold of her, trying to find her. Mm-hmm. She comes up with a very interesting, I don't know, it was something in her past that we, you know, we've, there's plenty of past for her to, uh, you know, for them to explore. And she comes into uh, uh, working with a fellow named Bela Durchenko, who is a hacker who stole a whole bunch of money. Uh, I wasn't sure from the Russian government or a big Russian corporation. I, was, I forget exactly what that I'm was. I'm not sure either. But he had hired Root, apparently, in the past and to save him back in, uh, her, back in her assassin days. Uh, she has, you know, obviously changed a lot, too. You know, Fusco has gone from crooked cop to the guy he is now. Root apparently had, and we saw a little bit of, of Fusco's backstory, but yep. Root's, uh, you know, we didn't see, see too much of hers other than she was a little weird at the beginning. <laughs> but yeah, it was to, to, now here's my question. Okay. Coming into, you know, running into to Bella to try to save her from the Samaritan crowd, which didn't work out very well, but it did bump her into the PlayStations. And the question is, how did she get that idea? You know, was it, was this something the machine told her to do before it went down? Is this, you know, instructions it gave her, a, uh, you know, a while back? Or was just incredibly fortuitous that the guy had a jillion PlayStation sitting around in the, in the warehouse? Uh, I wasn't quite sure where that, where that came from. Did, did, did I miss something? Well, no, not unless we both missed it. I had the same wonderings. My my hope was that the machine had given her some sort of instructions at some point. You know, here's the plan. 
after I'm gone type of thing because how would she how else would she know about it did she know about Bella for a long time and was just you know kind of keeping that in her back pocket for a rainy day I think that's absolutely possible but I'd also like to think that maybe the machine gave her some sort of instructions on because the machine would know look the machine did a brilliant job of coordinating for two plus seasons three really yeah two plus seasons of migrating itself from the nuclear plant to the power grid right there in the middle of of uh, was it Brooklyn or whatever it was, uh, maybe the Bronx, whichever. So, but you would think, okay, well, that's only half the equation. All that does is put me into a case. Now I got to get out. And so you would think that the machine would have equal amount of thought into what how it would get out of the case. And so hopefully it gave Root some sort of uh, instruction on how what what the next phase was, knowing that it would have to give her that information before it got, you know, caseified. Caseified. Now we got two things actually um, out of this. Uh, Root's connection with Bella. She got a new identity, or she got uh, you know new pa- new papers, new passport, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's going to help. And we also discovered that Samaritan has already been burying malware uh, deep inside. All sorts of hardware, apparently. I'm looking at my mouse now thinking, oh, what's going on there? Yep. So, you know, all this recycled hardware, they're finding they can't get rid of it. I, I'm not sure how you you do something like that and, and not be able to get rid of it. I mean, maybe it's in the read-only memory. Fine. But you can just create a new read-only memory chip, a ROM chip, and I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. So during the uh, – sorry to interrupt. During the, uh, the commentary, the guys were just like – we didn't make this stuff up. Check your hard drives. That was kind of that was what they said. I was like, "Don't say that." <laughs> That'll make you paranoid. I know. And they also talked about these stickers that fans have made, and they recommended that we get them that are made to cover all the webcams in your house. And I'm like, oh my "Gosh, guys, don't tell uh, me the these needy. things." <laughs> you are being watched. <laughs> yeah, every minute of every day. Yep. Yep. So I liked I liked that. Uh, so it was a great little. They 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 never do. It seems to me never do something for one reason only. Yeah. You know this this connection had root. You know get at least getting out of the way a bit of the uh, Samaritan crowd. Of course they show up later anyway. Gets her a new identity and gets them three hundred playstations. Boom. Mm-hmm. And then they use that to try to you know, put together a a computer, a network a set of network computers enough that the machine could decompress itself into them. It tries to decompress itself on a Harold's laptop and Harold's like, no 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 no, that ain't gonna work, buddy. And he yanks the plug quite literally and uh and keeps that from happening. But I was looking at that thinking, okay, I can see networked PlayStations. I mean I can see how you do that and many supercomputers these days aren't just really high powered CPUs. They are a network of high-powered CPUs that don't have to be quite as high-powered in order to make a, a faster machine. You just put more, more CPUs, more you know, connections between them, and it, you know, so you've got a faster, uh, a faster machine doing things, multiple things at the same time. So I looked at this and I thought, 300 PlayStations? Mm, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but I, I didn't think they had quite that much of a processing power, but Somebody sent us a link in a in one of the feedbacks that was really surprising to me. 
Did you you got that from um, who did we get that from? Well, I had already pulled it from Wikipedia before I saw that, and so ah. they gave us a more in depth article. And I want to make sure we give them credit for that. Let me scroll down to our feedback. Wikipedia, the, the true source of all knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was from Greg Proops fan. He he sent that in, or she, I guess. I was thinking it's a he because it has the word Greg, but that just says Greg Proops fan. But yeah, I thought that when I saw the PlayStation 3 being used, you know, the first thought was, why the 3 and not the 4? Because the 4 is more powerful. But... I thought, in fact, I even tweeted the POI writer's room last night and and said that was a good call because the PS3 had this microprocessor called the cell processor, which was really made to scale. And it had, uh, I think it has six cores, if I remember right. And anyway, it was this really unique architecture. And it, like I said, it was, it was made to, to scale and stuff. And so I thought, oh, that's why they, they picked it. And maybe that nah. is why other people have done this, but it seems like Linux was more of a key than than maybe that specific processor architecture, but it might have been both. But in the commentary, they, um, I don't know if it was Greg or uh, or Tony, said that it was because of Linux being used as the OS on that specific gaming console. That's why they couldn't use the PS4. But but you're right, Doug. There are real-world scenarios where people have combined these PS3s to create supercomputers. It's amazing. And I didn't I, know I, that. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Now, I, the PS4 does not use Linux anymore, does it? It no. sounds like they may have done something else. Okay. I don't know what it uses, but it's not Linux. And this little Wikipedia article that I pulled up said, and this is the same the same bit of information that's in that article that Greg Proops friend sent us, says in November 2010, the Air Force Research Laboratory created a powerful supercomputer by connecting together 1,760 PS3s, which include, get ready, 168 separate graphical processing units, 80 and 84 coordinating servers in a parallel array capable of performing 500 trillion floating point operations per second, which is <laughs> 500 teraflops. <laughs> that, that, that's just amazing. Now, it was 1,700, not 300, yeah, but yeah. still, you well, know, that's... That's quite good. And the, the the Wikipedia mentions also in 2008, a group of hackers used 200 of them to crack SSL authentication, which I, that's incredible too. SSL is like supposed to be unbreakable. Yeah, so, the encryption there. Yeah, and yeah. wow. So this is a lot of power. This is this is not just fictional made up stuff for TV. This is something that really could have been pulled off, at least in theory. I'm impressed. So they these guys have been doing their homework. And yeah. that's, you see... And I think we've discussed this before, where a lot of TV shows, when they start talking about computers, it's, look, there's blinking lights, mm-hmm. and it does things that, you know, who know, you know, magical things, and it just happens. Whereas these guys have really done their homework and, and looked into this. I'm sure they, they you know, like you mentioned in the commentary, they picked a PS3 specifically because it had Linux. How would they know? They had to go, you know, figure that out. Yep, somebody um, had to know that. Yeah, some some writer or some you know researcher they have. Okay, we need some simple computer that we can network and that runs on Linux. Go find it, you know, that people would understand. Man, so yeah. you know, again, smart writing 
intelligent. And it's like, oh, this is this, you know, for the folks who are kind of jaded as to, oh, yeah, just this hand wave and all this computer stuff. No, this is real. Yeah. And it stands to reason, too, I think that there would be more PS3s at a recycling center than PS4s since PS4 is the current generation. Um, although you could argue, well, yeah, but they're the ones that are in use and being and, and dying, you know, or PS3s would have maybe, or I don't know, but I, I still think it's, it stands to reason that the PS3 would have been more available for. What could be overstock, you maybe. know, overstock sure. never opened. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Really cool. Love it. Uh, I don't know about the, um, the use of the nitrogen to, to cool them. Although we're going to get to that. Um, I, my question was whether or not that would. Like, could you spray it directly on them, or does it, does it need to be like? Would it would it would it, would it cool it too fast and crack it like like glass? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that was my thought. I don't know, but we'll we'll talk about the cooling thing. I think in in a minute. Well, I, th- I want to say I want to say that may have been a hand wave just to quickly you know deal with the situation, but mm-hmm. you know after finding about the PS3s, I am loath to call it that just because I don't know and. I would have I would have said that about the PS3. Oh, they're just you know a, a little pop culture reference and stuff like that. But you know, yeah. I guess we are. I, I was thinking we had something else to talk about before we got to that point. But but they did in the so I'll mention my, what I was going to say. I'll go ahead and mention that now. They did say in the commentary that y- you may not notice it until you, you until you notice it. It's like one of those things that like I don't know. I did a, a, a stuff I learned yesterday episode one day on on American flags and and Mustangs cars and it's like you never notice that they're everywhere until you're like oh there's an american flag oh there's another one and there's a and they're flying like if you go on your commute one day you'll notice five the next day because you're looking for them you'll notice 10 the next day you'll notice 30 because they're you're looking for it and that was essentially mm-hmm. what they said about these canisters is they're all over new york city and you don't notice them until Whoa. you notice them. And then you notice them everywhere. And they really are there. And they're chained to utility poles. And they really are used to cool the, the telephone lines. It's a real thing. <laughs> so, so when Reese was, was, uh, was saying that, that's it. he was saying exactly what they do with those things. Huh? Yes, absolutely true. Well, again, what I don't know might be a hand wave is whether or not that would have cooled them too quickly or maybe brought in condensation or caused them to crack because it's so cold. I don't know if you could just apply it directly like he did. But the mm-hmm. idea that these nitrogen uh, canisters are, are there and used to, to cool telephone lines is legit. Well, if it cools the te- if it, they use it to cool the telephone lines, and the, the telephone lines don't become suddenly brittle, because that's you know what metal would do, and mm-hmm. rubber, uh, especially if you're talking about the uh, you know insulated wire, then it must you know it's probably liquid nit- it's liquid nitrogen in the tank, but when it comes out, it's uh, decompressing so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, turning more it's it's mostly a gas at that point, but it's still a very cold gas, and so. Uh, it might have different properties and and work just fine. Wow! Yeah. Not as big so of a hand wave are, as you might have thought, though. Isn't that no, cool? wow! These guys are really thinking this through. Yeah, I'm impressed. I know the writers. We say it all the time. The writers are are just incredible. And it's not just like, them. I mean, they have researchers. They have you know consultants mm-hmm. and all those things. The whole team uh, behind the show really know their stuff. You know, it, you don't realize how much of a team effort it is because they make it look so um, so easy, you know, and just, just go through the stuff. But it's it's kind of like uh, I watch The Voice, 
occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking those musicians, you know, you, you, nobody ever thanks the musicians. They always thank their coach. But the musicians make them sound great. And, you know, I, I see in one of these uh, uh, practice sessions, the guy says, can we take that up a half step? And they just do it again in, you know, in another key. It's like, these guys are incredible. And nobody ever, you know, says anything about them. Same thing with uh, the writers and the, and the, uh, the producers and the researchers. Ah, wow. Yeah. Really get, cool. You get an education watching Person of Interest, folks. It ought to be, it ought to be good for college credits. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to go for, yeah. Well, so at that point, the machine finishes decompressing, and Harold boots it up. And And that's it. Blinking cursor. (laughs) I was just like, you can't end it that way. At least give me a blue screen of death or some sign of (laughs) life or death. Uh, oh, yes, indeed. You know, just leave it to your imagination because next week we'll have two hours to find out what goes on. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't know if it's alive or not. I mean, I've built my own computers. Doug, I'm pretty sure you've done that as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you put all the components in there, you fire it up. And for especially for a Windows-based PC where it has to go through uh, that initial boot, there's that blinking cursor. And then mm-hmm. it's going to read the BIOS and pull in all the information and read all the the hardware components. And then if all that clears, then it's going to boot into the OS. And so there's that moment where it was just blinking cursor. And there are times where you might have something configured wrong in the BIOS or a hardware issue is at hand or whatever, and it's just blinking cursor. And that's all you ever get is blinking cursor. And so at this point, we don't know. I mean, we, all we know is, is that it powers on. You know, we did see some code and stuff happening behind the scenes, but again, that could just be trying to figure out if it's got enough data to go to the next step. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, if it's booting up. For those of you who may be wondering, what what are they talking about booting a computer? Are they talking about kicking it? (laughs) No, actually. A little bit of trivia for you. If you've heard the term picking yourself up by your own bootstraps, it's like, you know, picking yourself up off the ground by grabbing your shoes or your boots and picking yourself up off the ground, which you can't do, but... It's um, that's the word picture that is used when dealing with computers. Usually there is a small program that loads a larger program and a larger program does a little bit of stuff and loads the information for a larger program. And ultimately you get to Windows or Mac OS or Linux or whatever. And so little by little by little, it is booting. It's picking itself up by its own bootstraps. So when you're uh, uh, when you boot a computer, actually, the full term is bootstrapping. So, yeah, I was an old computer when I was in high school, and in order to boot it up, there was a paper tape with punched holes in it, and you had to read that through, and what that was was the program to run the card reader, and then the card reader would read the code to the operating system and all that. So, you know, that, that's, the, uh, that's the kind of thing that's going on there. So, anyway, uh, if you wanted to know that, great. If not, I'm, I'm, I'm eternally <laughs> sorry. Just Doug just nerded out, took, took the I nerd did. level to a to a different level Ooh. there. I'm feeling good. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we'll find out. It's interesting though. You and I kind of talked in our recap slash preview episode of when will they be able to boot the machine up and will and when will we see if it's alive or not? Now that's still like you just said. That's just because it powers on doesn't mean that it's there. They've still got to rebuild it. I mean, Root was talking about that in this episode. Now Harold 
we've got to you know reconstruct this. It's just source code right now. It's not fleshed out. All that stuff has got to be redone. So we still don't know how long it's going to be before they actually have a machine that can help them. Functional, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You may just get a cursor and it just sits and blinks at you. Well, yeah. what's next? Yeah. Well, let's right. talk about Fusco. We have we have ignored the man for you know for this episode. We need to get to his story. He's had a very interesting story. The poor guy is brought into the interrogation room by a, an FBI agent and internal affairs. That is probably the worst combination <laughs> for know, a guy right? sitting at his desk at a police station that you can imagine. Uh, they talked about in the commentary that moment when Fusco walks into the police station. You get the kind of the behind the over the shoulder camera angle, mm-hmm. and then he kind of spins around, and that look on his face, like because he feels he knows every eye is on him, and he's just like, <laughs> "What is going on here?" And then of course it's internal affairs and the FBI, and so they talked about how how neat of a shot that was, and gave credit to the director and and everything, and. Uh, that was a cool shot. As I was watching, I'm like, I totally missed that my first time through of what that shot was showing us. And it was yeah, kind of yeah. showing us the, the Fusco perspective of, hey, uh, what the? Why is everybody <laughs> looking at me? You, you've been in that situation where you know that every eye is on you and it's a really uncomfortable situation. And, and that's what he found himself in. We had, the whole room knows that IA and the FBI are looking for him. They're he walks waiting. in and like, yeah. All right, it's 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 almost like a perp walk, you know, on the way into the <laughs> interrogation room. That's right. And as it turns out, they're loving him, you know. I well, not at first. Not at first. No, they they're not entirely sure he's telling the truth. Now, it was interesting. He said, you know, I I pulled my weapon. Mm-hmm. So he at least admitted to that and then he said, but he didn't shoot. You'd think that that would speak for him because, you know, he could have just said I never pulled my weapon and, you know, sat in there and so I didn't. I didn't kill anybody, you know, just because I could, you know. But as it works out, it they, it seems to the ballistics report seems to suggest that he did shoot them. They were trying to get away. It was going to be a uh, self defense uh, defense, and so it was going to going to work. Except that the FBI guy doesn't really show us the the ballistics report. Yeah, it's as though it was you know faked out, or they're just saying one thing, and they know they know the truth. It's just that Samaritan has them in its grasp. I think that's it. In fact, they said as much uh, on the commentary that basically the FBI guy is an agent, for lack of a better word, of of Samaritan. And I wasn't really sure if that meant that he is aware of Samaritan and he's on Samaritan's team outright or if he's just being fed information that he thinks is true but it's actually falsified information being created by Samaritan either way he's being used or manipulated by Samaritan and uh, that that was pretty clear too uh, pretty early on I, and just in some of the behaviors and stuff this was a really cool callback I think to season two when Fusco was in the midst of that internal affairs investigation and he barely got out of that thing remember and so they the internal affairs guy we see in this episode who's wanting to get Fusco. When when the FBI comes in and says, now the ballistics information, Fusco, you're a hero. You're going to be commended. And the internal mm-hmm. affairs guy is like, let me see that. You know, he he thinks he finally has Fusco, and he doesn't. I have you now. 
Yeah. And because, and they also point out in the commentary, because he didn't buy it, he wasn't going to just say, oh, well, the FBI said such and such, and the report came back thus and so. Okay, I guess Fusco is all cool. He wasn't going to buy it. He was going to keep pushing it and figure out the truth. And that's why the Samaritan said, okay, well, fine. You didn't want to take the cover. We're going to have to eliminate you. We're going to activate your pacemaker. And so yeah, that's, nice that's pacemaker there. Yeah. It would be a shame if something happened to it. Which means that Fusco needs to, I mean, Reese is telling Fusco, hey, keep it down. And, and Reese is spot on. If the machine, if, excuse me, if Samaritan thinks, oh, Fusco's too much of a liability, he's not going to keep his trap shut. He's going to keep pursuing this and finding shell casings on the rooftop. Fusco's going to be in real danger of being eliminated by Samaritan. And Team Machine has its hands full already. Right. And they don't have, have a machine good... to protect them and kind of give them an idea of what's going yeah. on or, or uh, alternatives out. What did you think about how, I mean, Fusco was like, he knows something's going on. And he really presses John on it. And John's like, I can't tell you right now. And and I think John made the right call there. But Fusco's just going to, He's pushing him. He knows there's something really important that he needs to know about. But at the same time, the team machine is like, look, the less you know, the better, you know, because as they said in the commentary, and I had never thought of this before, Fusco doesn't have a fake identity. He is Fusco. He is Mm -hmm. a New York City police detective. That's it. There's no other layer of protection for him. So if he does become aware of the machine and Samaritan realizes that, there's there's no protection for him. And so it is better for him not to know. But at the same time, he's getting extremely frustrated, and he's a detective. He's going to keep fi- pushing to figure it out. So wh- how do you think this plays out this season? I think Fusco finds out. I mean, I think we when, are all though? pretty much in agreement on that. But yeah. I, think, I, don't, I, I think he gets told about it. I, I'm not sure. It's not, you know... It's not something that he would figure out on his own. Oh, you know what? I bet you it's a super intelligent computer AI running in a briefcase. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to figure that out. But he he knows there's a a Mister Big or somebody pulling the strings. And at some point, uh, it'll probably be Finch. He'll probably get a little sit down with glasses, as he calls them, or Mister Peabody. I like that one. <laughs> and uh, and just. Get read into the uh, the whole uh, the whole episode, the whole situation. He's got you. I mean, it's it's it would be unsatisfying to me if he got out of this without knowing the whole truth, having been through it for five seasons, through the death of his partner, through you know torture and everything else he's been through. Yep. No, he he's got he's got to know at some point. But yeah, now is not the time. You're right. Yeah, Barb is predicting three episodes, three more episodes, episode four. I think that's a really solid prediction. You know, Zach is saying, really, only three more? And so he's he, Zach is saying at the very end, I'm going to go with Barb, but yeah, I'll, 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 I might even go three more. So episode four, I say episode four or five, somewhere around there. So he'll be, he'll be read in. Yeah, he needs to be. And once he is, and if the machine is back up and running, if it is, mm-hmm. then he can be a real asset. Then he'll under, at least understand what's going on. If the machine um, is there to kind of help protect him, yeah. Yes. I like that he had to, he keeps having, a, this poor guy has to keep covering for Reese. Like the guy's on, <laughs> yeah. oh man. He's not even a real he, cop. <laughs> no, he's looking into that other case. You know, that's, that's the best he's got at this point. Yeah. Oh man, poor guy. 
Yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see how the Fusco situation plays out. He's in a very precarious spot. He doesn't even know it. He is he's he is in the lion's den thinking that the lions are are put away for the meal that there's no danger in the pen and he is surrounded by lions just waiting for their excuse to devour him. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I don't think he'll die. I, I predicted he would live all the way through the end. You said he would die. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's in danger. He's in. He's like from from Ghost. I always say, Molly, you're in danger, girl. Fusco, you're in danger, man. <laughs> it's like an obscure reference that only my wife gets. But anyway, <laughs> does she listen to the podcast? Nope. She listens yeah, to me dude. enough. She doesn't want to hear me they, on the podcast. Yeah, more? No, 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 no. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think we've, I think we've hit it here. Yeah, it was just over, overall. You know, Zach was saying at the beginning in the chat room that that my episode rating of nine was was too high, and for me it wasn't. I mean, it was exciting. You know, the the idea, uh, the the song that they chose at the beginning, as as we're seeing Team Machine escape was so so good uh all the action that took place before the opening credits rolled so it was such a good intro uh, but the whole episode was just trying to figure out how we're going to get back to safety is the machine going to work the flashbacks that we got it was good to see carrie again right she's so good and um mm-hmm. by the way that was their real dog that oh, was know, it? In, in that flashback oh, okay. yeah that's their real dog uh Chumley is the dog's name. Um, <laughs> Nathan Ingram again got to see that character, and so for me, it, it worked on every every level. Was it the best episode ever? No, and my scoring isn't. It doesn't work that way. You know, Clint's always did when we did the Fringe podcast. He rated everything as a, a whole piece of work, or even sometimes he would say, "How did it entertain him in comparison to everything he's ever seen film and TV?" And I thought that was unfair. What I look at is is did it do for me what I was wanting this episode to do? And mm-hmm. and for me this episode did all of that. It got our team out, it got the machine out safely. It, it there was a lot of action, there was some nice story layers built in, and it's set up for a really fun and compelling season ahead. So for me, that was all that I was wanting and it delivered on all levels. So that's why I gave it a nine. Alrighty. I liked it. All right. Well, what do you say we get into some uh, surveillance in the news, man? Yeah, surveillance in the news. Now, for those of you who've been watching the Facebook group, I have occasionally thrown some of these out into the Facebook group. So during the year-long hiatus, thank you, CBS. So keep an eye on the Facebook group. We'll have some more stuff like that in there. You Maybe, you know, we can't cover all the weird surveillance news on the podcast, but we will cover this one. China is building a big data platform for pre-crime. This was uh, published in Ars Technica on March 8th. That's two months ago then, and that will make uh, that will uh, explain something uh, a little later in the uh, in the article here. But they say it's pre-crime meets thought crime. China is using its substantial surveillance apparatus as the basis for a unified information environment that would allow authorities to profile individual citizens based on their online behaviors, financial transactions, where they go, and who they see. The authorities are watching for deviations from the norm that might indicate someone is involved in suspicious activity. And they're doing it with a hand from technology pioneered in the good old U.S. of A. 
As Defense One's Patrick Tucker reports, the Chinese government is leveraging predictive policing capabilities that have been used by U.S. law enforcement. We've talked a little bit about it here, I think, last season. Mm -hmm. And it has funded research into machine learning and other artificial intelligence technologies to identify human faces in surveillance videos and then put a little block around them, the white block for people who are irrelevant and yellow for people who know about the machine (laughs) and red for threats. (laughs) The Chinese government has also used this technology to create a situation-aware public security evaluation platform that predicts security events based on surveillance data, which includes anything from actual terrorist attacks to just large gatherings of people. And the Chinese just don't like large gatherings of people, so there you are. Hmm. Oh, sound like anything we are familiar with? That sounds like a whole new concept to me. Mm. Man, a lot. So they mentioned the Chinese government has loads of data. It's got lots of surveillance cameras. Mm -hmm. And um, has been building that up over the past five years, uh, surpassing China's defense budget even. Domestic security and stability has surpassed their defense budget. And that's saying something. Uh, And turning the country into the biggest market for security technology. Now, the law that they passed states that companies shall provide technical interfaces, decryption, and other technical support and assistance to public security and state security agencies when they are following the law to avert and investigate terrorist activities. What does that sound like? Sounds like, oh, a San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. iPhone, yep. And going to Apple to uh, to try to get it decrypted. Well, that actually says, was mentioned in that commentary as well. They made oh, fun really? of it. They, they talked about how ridiculous it was that the government wanted Apple to break into that phone. Because everyone knows full well that the government is fully capable of breaking into that phone. And, and that's, they said it really quickly. They just said the government could have broken into the phone. Even, you know, it would have been easier for very a lot of hackers. It wouldn't be hard for a hacker to, to, to get into the phone. They didn't need Apple to do that. All they want, and this is me commentating, commentating now, what, what the government wants is Apple to create a backdoor to make it easier for them or to say, oh, it's only for this one thing. But they're, you know, all they want is a, is a door in. That's all the government yeah. was wanting. I, put, I, put the door in. There you go. Oh, anyway, got on the soapbox a little bit. Sorry. Back to Oh, no, absolutely. No, no, no. Well, let's see. What, what they're looking for in, in, in the uh, article says here, in other words, they want a sort of a golden key mm-hmm. that FBI Director James Comey has lobbied for in the U.S. Um, so and for obvious reasons, the Chinese government was particularly interested in the outcome of the current legal confrontation between FBI and Apple over the iPhone used by uh, the San Bernardino shooter, Sayed Farouk. So, yes, uh, and how that really didn't, the illegal uh, wrangling did not really come to much because apparently uh, one of the uh, FBI guys gave it to his teenager and we're into it in an hour. <laughs> so there you go. No surprise. And, oh, man, where's my, where's my tablet? I need my... Thank you. All righty. Yeah, so there you go, folks. Uh, <sighs> China's building the machine. Yep. No surprise. Didn't this episode, didn't this, excuse me, didn't this show start uh, in China? Uh, in a laptop? It, it, oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, Harold stole something from China in a laptop. That's right. My it did tie into Harold, yeah. We didn't know oh. it for a couple of seasons, but uh, yeah. Wow. Okay, there you are, folks. Stranger than fiction. Yep. I mean, I mean, stranger than the truth? I don't yeah. know. It's crazy, man. Scary that it's, this is true. And that's what we've always talked about with this show. I mean, 
People want to watch this show and go, oh, it's just TV. That's not real. Not with this show. Not with this mm-hmm. one. The guy, these folks know what they're talking about, mm. and they have been very predictive. I mean, this, this started before the Edward Snowden oh, yeah. revelations. And, it, you know, it almost looked like a script from uh, an episode of POI. Wow. All right, well, let's get into some happier news. What do you say? We've got a, uh, we, we talked about, we, we've mentioned several times the episode that we did last week, which was the season four f- review and season five prep episode. One of the things we did on that episode was we, uh, we, we kind of did our predictions on who would live and who would die. And we did get one uh, commenter, Dotch, who sent us, I think it was Dotch, wasn't it? Sent us some feedback, said, man, guys, that was a little, that was <laughs> yeah, a little yeah, too you soon. Busted my, yeah, I was trying to be you know, mellow about this all, and you really yeah. screwed that up, yeah. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, it is a little bit. A little bit weird. It, well, and I think one of the things you and I didn't talk about was that the showrunners had, there was an article where they were interviewed and they basically said that it's going to be a bloodbath this season and there aren't going to be a lot of people that walk away from it. And I think that's what got that thought process going for you and I, even though we didn't really specify that. But uh, you and I just kind of came up with our own predictions as far as who would live and who would die. People really, except for Dodge, seemed to like the idea, and we got some predictions that came in via Twitter. We got some others that came in via Facebook, and we thought, "Hey, we can we can jump on this train. Let's make this into a formal contest." So we have made it into a formal contest. I don't have the spreadsheet pulled up right now. I actually gave it a name. What was it? Live another day or something like that? Live another day. Yes, the live another day contest. Uh, so who will live and who will die this season? And here are the rules. It's it's pretty easy, but there are 10 specific characters that we're asking uh, for your feedback on, okay? Those 10 characters are from Team Machine, Fusco, Finch, Reese, Root, and Shaw. We still count... Shaw is team machine because we don't know what her mental state is at this point. So Shaw, Root, Finch, Reese, and Fusco. And Bear. And Bear. You're right. He is team machine. Bear. Okay, so that's six of them. Uh, Seven and eight would be the machine and Samaritan. And then nine and ten would be Greer and Control. And we talked in our recap episode of whether or not Control is alive or dead. We haven't seen a body. All we've seen is a hood over her head. So we're going to pretend like she's still alive at this point. Although one, we did get a prediction that says, no, 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 she is dead. She died last season. And that's a fair, I think that's a, that's a fair uh, guess. So those are the ten characters. We need you to simply say whether or not that character lives or dies, is, is dead or alive at the end of the season. And then for a tiebreaker, we want you to predict the episode that they will die. So if you're predicting that a character will die, what episode will that happen in? One through 13, because there are 13 episodes this season. And so that'll be used in case of a tiebreaker. And then if there's still a tie, I don't know, we'll figure something out. Maybe we'll put those names in a hat, or maybe everybody will be a winner, depending on how many there are or something. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But the winner will get your choice of Blu-ray or DVD, a season of person of interest of your choice. So you get to choose whatever season you want on either Blu-ray or DVD, and we'll ship it out to your house. So that's the contest, the Live Another Day 
person of interest contest here. So you can email us those over at uh, feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. You can send them to us via Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is POI Podcast GSM. Is that right? Did I get that right? It's been a year. That came out of nowhere. Or you can uh, hit us up on the Facebook page. We have a Facebook group page. And that page is facebook.com slash groups. Where's it at? So, yeah. Slash uh, person of interest GSM. That's it. Yes. Person of interest. Or just search for person of interest GSM. podcast. You know, yeah. right in the little search part. It's a whole lot easier. Yep. I, I want to I clarify one thing about the tiebreaker. Okay. I'm going to give an example of it. So, for example, let's say uh, Shaw and Fusco die. And a number of people have predicted just Shaw and just Fusco. You got to get them just right. So let's say you say Shaw dies in episode 12 and she dies in episode 13. Well, then that's 13 minus 12. That's one. And then if you predict Fusco is going to die in 13, but he dies in 10, that's a three episode difference. So that's three and three plus one is four. So your tiebreaker score is four and the lowest score, meaning the one who was closest to getting, you know, the right episodes wins. So step one, you have to get, just the right people who die, no more, no less. And then if there's a tie, we do the uh, little uh, episode uh, differences. And then if we still have a tie, we roll the dice. I don't know. Yeah, we don't, haven't quite figured that one <laughs> I out. I doubt yet. we'll have but, a tie at that point. Cause would... uh, oh, you, you mentioned control. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say if you think control is already dead, I would say, say control dies in episode one. And if, if we find out during the season that she died last season we'll just consider that one so if you think that's what happened make that a one otherwise you know whatever episode you think if she's gonna die fair enough all right this will be fun Uh, we've got several entries already that have come in and uh, yes and i put you and i in there doug and i obviously aren't eligible to win but it'll be fun to see how you guys fare against our predictions how we fare against your predictions and how Doug and I can fare against each other. Oh, yes, indeed. We, we, we've got we've got markedly different predictions here. Yeah, yeah a few yeah. a few line a few line up, but uh, not all of them do. No so two are the same so far. There are no identical predictions that have come in so far. That's good. That's good. Now here's the thing: if nobody predicts exactly who dies, we'll have to think about that too. Mm. Do we do we I give a, 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 a prize to the closest? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. We want right. to give something away, so we'll, we'll probably do that. That's cool. Well, Doug, uh, that's the contest. Uh, let's uh, let's move into some feedback, unless you have anything else to say about the uh, contest. No, I'm done. I'm psyched. I want to see what these folks have to do. I'm trying to think if we can. Well, I was no, no, maybe not. I was thinking that we could post the who voted for what and when on the Facebook page, but I think it's better if we keep that secret. I don't think we want to, to, you know, influence anyone else. Oh, that's what so-and-so said. Well, I'm going to say the same thing, but a few different numbers. And mm-hmm. we're going to keep that quiet. But I think as we go through the um, through the season, we can kind of let some folks know that, well, you seem to have been eliminated here. Somebody died and you didn't predict that. Well, and that brings me to one very, very important thing that we forgot to mention. That is the deadline. For oh, some, yes. Because obviously, at some point, people are going to start dying and it's not going to be fair to, to those not, who got theirs in. Not, not, not technically a prediction. Yeah, yes. not a prediction. You you will have missed out on your chance. So what would we say? Episode five? Yes, the close, the, 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 the end of episode five is the deadline. No, no, no. It's got to be the beginning of the episode before, in case somebody dies in that episode. Well, except that episode five is the, it's, next week is two and three. The following week is four and five. 
Oh, okay. Okay, you're right. You're right. Yes. So the end of episode five. So, so technically, before episode six airs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we'll say that. Yeah. So before episode six airs in Eastern time, that's that's when the contest will close. So you'll have until then to get your predictions in, and then that away. Like I said, every, everybody has got their prediction. And if, if we lose somebody before then, well, maybe we'll throw that person out of the contest. You know, that, that we'll, we'll have nine instead of ten or something like that. But we we were kind of hoping that we wouldn't see any casualties before uh, the end of season or episode five. And hopefully we'll, our prediction on that will at least be true. Hmm. Well, <laughs> hopefully. Well, who knows? I know, right? All right, well, let's get into the feedback there. Again, to send in feedback, the deadline is Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And even on weeks where we have multiple episodes that we're watching, the deadline is the same for both episodes. Uh, Wednesday at 5 Eastern time, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Or, of course, you can do it on our Facebook page or our Twitter account. Any of those work. We take it always. So the first one is coming in from Team Yellowbox that we mentioned earlier in the ratings. Team Yellowbox is so happy to see this amazing series return, but also sad this is the final season. The voiceover opening was great. I love how the title shot has always been adapted to the season. It's little details like that that make the series great in part. While I watched the flashbacks in this episode, I do miss the timeline effect from the previous seasons. I have to say, I think Root had better fight scenes than John in this episode. I love Samaritan scrolling through Root's previous identities and her saying they could just call her Root. That was <laughs> funny. Yeah, We didn't really talk about how she got out of the subway car. That was a fantastic yes, yeah. scene. Loved that. The makeshift computer from PlayStations and nitrogen cooling was a cool scene. No pun intended. Yeah. One of the other things they mentioned in the commentary was this idea of sending alerts. So the machine looked at the people on the subway car, you know, kind of looked at its assets and then delivered these news alerts, these fake news alerts to each of them so that they would gang up on route. And they got that idea from a similar thing that Russian hackers had done where they had come up with a fake terrorist attack or or bomb in Louisiana and had sent stuff out via social media like nothing ever physically happened but they made it look like something did on social media just to see what would happen and people bought a hook line and sinker and it's this idea of social persuasion which is obviously something that's very pervasive um all of us fall victim to it in one way or another and so that was their way of showing just how easily uh, persuaded we are by just a sliver of information. Yeah, it's a, it's something that, um, and especially you, you see that on your Facebook or Twitter feed where somebody says, oh, look at this, because I saw, you know, a friend of mine said this, and so it must be true. And you go there and, you know, it, it really, just the other day, a, a guy had, uh, and, and I got nailed by it too, a guy had put out a, a, a here's a news report, and I go to the website, and wow, it's got comments on it, whatnot, and everything on it. So, wow, is that really true? And I posted it on my um, on my Facebook feed, and then all of a sudden I said, "Well, let me go to the the main site." I couldn't remember the name of the um, the name of the uh, the URL of the article, so I went to the main top level site of this uh, news uh, organization. There's nothing on it, and then I started doing checking Snopes and some other places. I said, "No, that's that's a fake news site." Huh? Uh, I'll delete that from my feed. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, that happens all. I see that all the time where somebody's posting something. They don't realize it's one of from one of those satire sites or from just a made up news site. And uh, yeah, yeah, it happens. I try all the time. to be good about that, but it, it's it's very easy. Yep, sure is. Well, thank you, Team Yellowbox. Andrew Jeeves has written to us, and he said, "Hi, Daryl and Doug. Hi, Andrew." Well, it's been about a year since we last talked about POI, and I hope you're both keeping well. I am. I know that. (laughs) I'm giving this episode nine subway shutdowns. What can I say about this episode? It was fantastic from beginning to finish. I didn't catch it live as I was busy watching NBA playoffs. What in the world? (laughs) Thank God for the invention of the PVR. How did we survive without the PVR and the Internet to catch up on past episodes of TV? I have no idea. I know, right? It's, it's impossible. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he says, I like the callback to Finch and his experience with the fairies. That's true. Uh, the blue fairy and the green fairy, you know. Uh, oh, no, wait a minute. So, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not the once upon a time. You yeah, know, you, uh, wrong TV podcast, show. Doug. Okay. Who's on next week? Okay. Anyway, poor Fusco. IA doesn't seem to believe that a sniper killed Dominic and Elias and thinks Fusco killed them. He says, crazy theory. I think he faked his death as the episode showed him still alive. So he's thinking Dominic or uh, Elias might still be alive. That's an interesting Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to say I think, excuse me, Elias really is dead, as much as I hate to say it, but I like the idea that he might still be alive. Who confirmed it, the IA guy or the FBI guy? That's a great, great question. I don't know. I just thought of that because if the FBI guy is being manipulated by Samaritan and mm-hmm. he's hiding the ballistics. He might be hiding that Elias is still alive. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Moving on. He says Samaritan has become creepier as IGN's Matt Fowler stated. Samaritan's claws are reaching into every aspect of life. Things may not bode well for our lovably grouchy detective because the evil ASI can do it all now. And I don't know what ASI stands for. I think, you know, a and the I is artificial and intelligence, but uh, super. I don't know if he means sentient or super or supercomputer or whatever. Yeah. Election rigging, innocent citizens frame, innocent citizen framing, assassination. And as we learned this week, malware infiltration into every citizen's device of choice. Anyway, here's to the rest of the season and wondering what we'll be doing after POI comes to an end. Being said, that's what I think. Yeah. You know, I had a thought uh, a couple weeks ago. It might've been last week after we finished our recap episode or our review episode. I've been watching Michael Emerson for 10 years. He first appeared on Lost in the spring of two, uh, 2006. Oh, my goodness. When he first heard about the others, yes. Yeah, I looked up his IMDb page. Uh, you know, he's done some voice work that I haven't seen. He did one episode on Parenthood, which is now in my queue. I'm going to watch that. Probably not this week because, I, as I mentioned to you, Doug, before we start recording, I've got a couple of guys on vacation this week, and I'm – pulling some extra work, but, but I've got the one parenthood episode. And then he did this thing for PBS uh, called God in America, where he played, I don't remember who he played, uh, some famous uh, preacher. Um, So I got to, I'm going to watch those, but so those are the only, and there was two episodes of that. So those three episodes are the only episodes of work that Michael has done over the last 10 years that I haven't seen. And now I'm at a point now where I'm realizing, you know, I don't know if is he going to do more television or is is he in interviews he sounds like he's definitely not going to be a series regular he doesn't want to do that much work he and he also wants to do other things on Broadway and some other things so 
it really sounds like we've I've reached a point now where for the first time in 10 years, I'm not going to have Michael Emerson on my TV. And that makes me really sad. He's so gifted and wonderful to watch and has been such a pleasure to to watch over the last 10 years. So I hope he decides to do some more. I hope somebody can talk him into to doing some TV work, at least on a recurring level, maybe on a you know, series regular, but maybe at least a recurring somewhere. Because he's, he's too awesome not to have on my TV. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was quite a it was quite a switch to see him as, you know, the bad guy on Lost into the good guy on uh, POI. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to imagine a world with no Michael Emerson on my TV. <laughs> well, so. you could always watch what's that comedy with uh, with his wife? Um uh, it's what the kids all come back home after leaving the nest and they oh, all come back. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen, yeah, I've seen crowded the crowded or something like that. Yeah. 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 All right, well, let's move on. This one comes in from Janae, and Janae says, Hi, Daryl and Doug. Uh, by the way, you got those in the right order. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Doug. Just, just ignore that. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited that Person of Interest is back. I give the premiere 9.5. Root is a bad mamma jammas, and I missed putting that up in our ratings earlier. Forgive me, Janae. I love the combination of intelligence and toughness that she brings to the group. I think the show did a good job of conveying a situation that is dire, but not completely hopeless. Also, I was on the edge of my seat almost the whole time. Very enjoyable. My one frustration is that they are still leaving Lionel in the dark. His life is at risk. Telling him why would not make him any less safe. It might make him safer. He's earned a spot on the team. It's time to let him in. Looking forward to next week. Janae rides with Renee in Ohio. And I agree. Look, right now, like I said, he's in the lion's den and he doesn't even know the danger that surrounds him. They need to at least let him know so that he doesn't go off and get himself killed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, really. So he knows, you know, who to trust, who not to trust, and, you know, why he's keeping his head down. I mean, it's it's probably killing him not to know why he has to just, okay, I'll, I did it. Thank you very much. And he knows he didn't. He didn't uh, take out these uh, most wanted guys. And so, uh, yeah, he, he uh, again, and this is a part of his turnaround from crooked cop to mm-hmm. the guy who doesn't want to take credit where he didn't do anything. All right. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Greg Proops fan says, hi, Daryl and Doug. Yeah, okay. Daryl and Doug. All I'm right. seeing a great pattern uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> Loved this episode. One nitpick of this episode is why use PS3s, and we covered this a little earlier, I think, prompted by this, since they're mostly obsolete due to the popularity of the PS4 and most likely more powerful than the PS3. Anyway, I find that this is truth. Who knew? Here's a link to the article, and he mentioned the article that that Daryl had talked about earlier, that, you know, they can actually network these things together. It's amazing what you can do if the processor is designed to be networked you can't just, you know, add necessarily, you know, two computers and you get something twice as fast because right. if they're not working together, it's, it, you don't get quite the same, uh, the same thing out of them. So, but if the PS3 design of the hardware was designed so that it would network well, then yes, it's very possible. Yep. There's been some speculation. I've been keeping up with the, uh, the Nintendo rumors because I am very patiently trying to wait for the next <laughs> Zelda uh, release which will come with the next console release which is codenamed the NX and um, 
some of the rumors that have been going on around the NX are that it will you you can actually allow your your console to be used for other people. So you're at work, you have your NX, you're at work, you don't need it while you're at work, but I'm at home, I work from home, and I I might say, hey, you know, I got Zelda, I'm going to take the day off, I'm going to play. And so it could tap into your NX and pull processing power from yours and, you know, of course, deliver it up through the network, through the web, and therefore, and not not only the CPU, but the but the GPU as well, the graphical processing unit, and therefore combine hardware from from multiple units and make it a much more powerful machine and these are all rumors but the concept is sound and i think even sony has looked into this possibly it might have been microsoft but anyway all these companies are looking into how they can make their their consoles cheaper and yet more powerful and that's one way to do that so it's a very real possibility for sure that's amazing yeah Ah. so um i'm gonna steal your uh now, I'm going to steal your bandwidth too, you know, get that information back and forth. That's true. That's something in to consider. To your, your CPU cycles. Yeah, I understand it's not being used. Okay, but wow. Yeah. There may be some, I don't know, there might be some issues with that. We'll see. Because yeah. some people do get, um, you know, they have a data cap and their provider, you know, starts slowing you down after mm-hmm. a certain amount of that's time. Right. And if you're not, if you're not, maybe you can opt in. Maybe that's something like that. Who it knows? is. I think it is going to be an opt-in. These are obviously rumors and speculation at this point, but uh, I would think it would have to be an opt-in because some people for privacy issues or because they're using it all the time and don't want their CPU cycles going to someone else. They want them all for themselves. It, I would think it would have to be an opt-in. And, and in fact, I, one one thing that I remember now is that there would be some sort of compensation. Uh, like Nintendo, they used to have the Nintendo point system where you could get Nintendo points and, and cash them in for certain things. Um, and they did away with that last year. And so they might look at bringing that back or revamping it where you're earning points based on the CPU and GPU cycles that you're, you're sharing or something like that. Or maybe you cannot use shared CPUs if you don't share yours. Maybe, you know, so there yeah. could be something like that. Yeah. Well, on the Facebook group, we had, a, I, Nice little comments uh, in there. We have a, we'll usually put up a, uh, an episode commentary thing. Don't forget to put your uh, ratings in there too. A couple of things I want to highlight in there. Brenda Tackett said, Bear looks thinner. Yeah. Was anybody feeding him? You know, they've been away a while. Also, uh, Daryl Washington. And first of all, I want to say, Daryl, you have kept that Facebook group alive during the one-year hiatus. Thank yeah, you, CBS. done a great job. Uh, done a great job with posting, you know, uh, various and, and various articles. And I would sometimes post stuff, and i just beat them. I'm thinking, yes, yes, my day <laughs> is made. I actually beat Daryl to the punch on this one. Wow, because he was up he on, he was on these things. Yeah. He was really good. Anyway, he said, great episode. How scary is it that Samaritan can get into a pacemaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I never thought about that. When Root was telling the guy about how she got a job and fell in love, it was so sweet. I had to rewatch the scene to make sure I heard it right. Yep. Giving, giving Root a little bit of a you know, heart here. And he said, and who was it that Lionel saw? And I, we, we missed this, I think. Lionel saw on the roof when he got the bullet casing. We didn't see he, him. Didn't he, didn't he say something or see something? He we heard a noise. Him. He looked up, and you kind of see a door moving. And so the idea yes. was 
was somebody there or was it the wind? And I think somebody was there. And who knows? It could be the FBI guy. You know, if he, especially if he is an an, an informed informant, uh, where he's not just a pawn, where he actually knows what Samaritan is, and is 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 actively working for Samaritan, he could be following it up to see if he needs to. Like I said, there are lions all around. Fusco mm-hmm. is in danger. Man alive. Yeah. yeah, and he's looking into this, so maybe Samaritan's saying, hey, buddy. Yeah. So, you know, Daryl had mentioned about Samaritan getting into a pacemaker. And Brenda Tackett replied, yeah, when they mentioned the pacemaker, I looked at my mom's monitor for her pacemaker. Pacemaker. <laughs> her thing. <laughs> And knew there was a Wi-Fi connection. Very scary. Yeah. Man, alive. Don't let me say that again. Well, we've seen him get into the um, the insulin pump in the past. So mm-hmm. same same type of thing. And we've got one audio feedback that came in this week. It's from Barb. Here it is. Hello, Daryl and Doug. The machine is back. Well, not quite. But our show is and you guys are, so we're on our way. I'll give this epi blue screen of death. action, system, boots. And wow, did we get the action. Jean and Root were right back where they left off, fighting and surviving. It was interesting that Samaritan knew that Root was an enemy, but then it changed its mind about Jean when he entered the police station. So is this a hint of a glitch in Samaritan? Perhaps a piece of code that our machine managed to use to con Samaritan. If so, is there anything else that our machine might have given Samaritan? A slow-growing virus, perhaps? Time will tell. In the opening monologue, I think Root is talking to the machine, or perhaps a new variant of our machine, giving it the threads of emotion and humanness that it will need in its new form, after at least some of our heroes are gone. I think this is something Root would do. Harold's creation will become Root's next generation, and based on what she said to Harold in this first epi, while Root and Finch may differ on their ideas about the machine, this next-gen machine... The final machine will have input from both of them. There were some clever lines from the writers. John telling Root, we don't have time for games, could be a reference to the fact that we only have 13 episodes and each one needs to count, in addition to the PlayStation gaming devices they took to reboot the machine. The machine's poignant line to Harold, how will I remember you? How will we remember this fantastic show? I'm guessing it will be with a lot of love, in the same way that Harold discovered his love for his machine that he created. Once again, Michael Emerson showed his character's emotion, angst, conflict, love, pain to a machine, and he wrestled with his conscience. Amazing performance. Okay, Fusco's in trouble. Samaritan is monitoring him, and our gang needs to read him into the bigger picture. His tenacity is going to get him killed. Oh, right. He's on my die list, isn't he? Okay, scratch that. (laughs) Bear was back, looking a bit thin, but I saw a tweet that indicated that this was Bear number three. So maybe Bear original gained too much weight during the long hiatus and was replaced by his understudy. As long as he remains safe, we'll all be happy. We jumped right in, and I can't wait to see what POI has in store for us. Next week can't come fast enough. Thanks for this great podcast, guys. It's wonderful to have everyone back. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out and heading out to look for a sea salt caramel ice cream cone. Mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> that sounds good, actually, yeah. 
You know, we used to have that on like Lost and all shows have it. You know, at the end of the season, I, it was Matthew Fox one year. It seemed like he came back for episode one of the following season and like he'd lost a bunch of weight. Maybe I think he'd been in, uh, I don't know if it was when he was in Speed Racer or Vantage Point, but he had lost a bunch of weight for that movie or something. And so, you know, it's supposed to be a continuation of what just happened in the cliffhanger and he comes back looking different. And so that that's what happened with Bear. He was on a different job over the summer, and it required him to be a little bit more svelte. Yeah, he was on the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Drop the mic on that one. Wow. Wow. I think that's it. I think we should just move on after that. <laughs> Well, if you've got feedback, ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear it. Daryl and I do. Both of us. Indeed. But, like, yes, like we said, though, the deadline is Wednesday at 5 p.m., so, you know, get those cards and letters coming. You've got a bunch of ways. You can call us if you want, you know, uh, a voice thing. It's really cool. It's 304-837-2278. You know, everybody's got, you know, national roaming and stuff like that. So it's no big deal, right? Right. And also, we have goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Feedback. Yes. It's just too easy, you know, but I like to, you know, feedback. Now, there you can do a couple of things. You can type something in. So just text. And you can record something right there on SpeakPipe. You click the little SpeakPipe widget and you're your microphone on your computer turns on and listens to you. If that isn't a machine, I don't know what it is. (laughs) And you can upload an audio file if you'd like. But, you know, the speak pipe thing is cool. And we are on Twitter, at POI Podcast GSM. Don't try to pronounce that. And we're on Facebook. Just search for the Person of Interest Podcast. There's just a whole bunch of stuff. And you can become a fan of Golden Spiral Media in general. And find out all sorts of things about all the different podcasts that GSM has on Facebook. So we will see you there. Indeed, we will. There's a lot. How many podcasts you got over there? Oh, man, I don't know. We got a bunch. And, uh, of course, some, some of them are ending here at the end of the season. But uh, got a bunch. I don't even know. I haven't added them up lately. <laughs> Quite a few. It's just it's grown grown out of control even for you. It has. I can't keep up with it all. So many great hosts, so many great podcasts, so go check it out. All right. Well, next week we are looking at an episode called Snafu. And the uh, teaser we get from the uh, marketing department that CBS releases, you know, as the press release says, the machine experiences a glitch during rebooting supplying Reese and Fusco with the numbers of dozens of people not actually involved in crimes while also locking Finch and Root out after identifying them as threats based on past violent behavior. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, 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 I'm reading this for the first time. So that'll be interesting. Uh, so I guess they are going to get the machine back up. That spoiled that, didn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, that's why this is the spoiler section. <laughs> Oh, well. Um, So, uh, and I don't know. I don't want to say these guests and the regular cast because I think that might be inaccurate. You know how they list some people even though they may not be in every episode and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So we'll just say some really cool people are going to be in it. It's written by Lucas O'Connor and directed by Chris Fisher. And Chris is the one that directed this episode today or this week, episode one. Oh, okay. Yes, indeed. All right. 
And then following that, that's on Monday, on Tuesday, the episode is called Truth Be Told. Reese's cover could be blown when he realizes the latest POI has ties to his old colleagues in the CIA. All righty. Um, and that's going to be the Tuesday episode. Uh, got all the regular cast. We're going to have some characters who have been recurring in the past that are coming back this season. Mm-hmm. Iris is back, the uh, psychologist. Yep, the love or interest. counselor. Yeah, and you know, slash love interest. Thank you. And Stanton, who I believe was a Northern Lights person mm. back in the day. That name is definitely familiar. I can't place it, but it's it's definitely a name that I that I remember. But yeah, I'm sure it was a seer. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we got there, and uh, we've got some other folks uh, that we will uh, not know who they are. Written by Eric Mountain and directed by Stephen Surgic. Yeah. I recognize there. the Surgic name. I do too. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Mountain doesn't sound familiar as far as uh, previous. Uh, credits here but yeah yeah not me either. we do have uh we do have some you know some and then, like i said these are all going to be bang 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 you mm-hmm. know episodes not shoot them up necessarily but a lot going on in terms of the overarching uh myth arc yep one interesting thing to point out here is that it does again this is from the press release the monday episode it says starts at nine fifty nine eastern time hmm um, and then the Tuesday episode is starting at 10. So one minute early on the, on the, uh, Monday episode. So just make sure you, um, and I'm, I'm sure that probably goes out to DVRs too, but you might want to just want to double check those, make sure they're all set for maybe five minutes early so that you don't miss that first minute. Cause that first minute is actually usually quite important. <laughs> like this one. Yeah. All right. Again, Monday, Tuesday next week, and we'll be back on Wednesday evening for our podcast and have it out to you sometime on Thursday. So We'll post the link to the Blab conference here. You can watch us mm-hmm. make fools of ourselves uh, as we uh, uh, talk about this, and uh, you can see what it would look like. Just, you know, spoilers. It, it, it's where We don't look like Brad Pitt and, uh, you know, uh, movie stars in it. Speak for yourself. I'm ravishly good looking. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm I'm done. All right. Well, with that, let's close it out. And I'll just say thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'm Daryl. And you know what? I'm going to go see if I can repurpose any of my old game consoles to make some supercomputers. And I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in the suit or a PlayStation watching over you. (laughs) 